Hi, everybody. This is Dr. Mike Carberry, founder of Advanced Medical Integration. I'm very fortunate to be interviewing today Josh Massengild, attorney, Texas chiropractic attorney and attorney for the Texas Chiropractic Association. Um, Josh, good to see you. How, how, hopefully everything's good today. Good, good. Thanks for having me. Good. So um, we're going to get into this whole thing that uh, a lot of chiropractors, a lot of our clients who are integrated have been contacting our company about with this HP 810, which has actually been around for a couple of years. Most people don't realize that when I tell that to them. But before we get into that, why don't you tell us, how did you get involved with chiropractic and, and integrated medical practices? Yeah, well, I'd love to tell you that as a little boy, I always dreamed of becoming a chiropractic attorney. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, it's just something that sort of happened. I worked in the U.S. Congress for a little while, and then I came back to Texas and did some time with the Texas Senate Committee on Health and Human Services handled some healthcare issues there, and then kicked out into private practice. And about that time, figured out that the Texas Chiropractic Association was needing representation, and so got signed on with them. And things have sort of been on a glide path <laughs> from there. I tell people I'm not a chiropractor, but chiropractors are how my children eat. So. Okay, hopefully your children don't eat chiropractors. But, um, <laughs> but you had something to do with a bill that was passed a few years back, uh, talking about Senate Bill six. 79. Why don't you tell us our listeners about that and your involvement with it? Sure. Well, that was a team effort. Um, Texas is a corporate practice of medicine state. So that means that only a physician is allowed legally to own a medical practice. And that's an old, arguably outdated doctrine that holds true still in about half the states, I think, at this point. And it's strong in Texas, but it meant that anybody who wanted to integrate, if you were a DC and you wanted to integrate your practice in Texas, you had to use a dual entity structure where a physician owned the medical entity and you owned a management company. And it was just, it was clunky and it was not ideal. Senate Bill 679 actually allows joint practice by certain professionals. So now a chiropractor and a physician can co-own a business entity together and operate an integrated clinic just all in one company. So it's really nice. That's uh, really awesome. Um, yeah. You know, I, I believe, as, and hopefully you do too, that integrated practices are uh, the wave of the future. It's always better to be integrated with different viewpoints approaching a problem than it is to just come from one tunnel vision viewpoint. And we've been all about for the last 25, 30 years, bringing the different professions of healthcare together to work together to help patients get well. So. Thank you for your involvement in that bill and, and pushing that bill because um, every time I hear about that bill, your name is attached to it. So thank you from a, one chiropractor to a chiropractic attorney. Thank you. Um, one reason some of the AMI clients integrate their practice is to give their patients access to regenerative medicine, which is a very, very popular thing. A lot of people use the term stem cells for this. Uh, we teach our clients not to do that, to call it regenerative medicine or uh, an allograph or uh, human cellular tissue products. Um, but the laws relating to this is pretty confusing. And this issue has just come up recently with a, a board investigation of a possible violation of HB 810. So um, all these numbers and everything gets really confusing. Why do you think everything's so confusing? I think the answer is because the law has a really hard time keeping up with science. Yeah. So science moves fast and lawyers move really slow. Um, regenerative medicine is, is cutting edge stuff and the law is just struggling to catch up. You know, some areas of the law 
don't know, property law, maybe. I mean, it hasn't changed much since the Middle Ages. I mean, the terminology even has stayed consistent over hundreds of years. Other areas of the law like this are new and they're less well-developed. And I think that's the main cause for sort of the ambiguity around the issue. You know, another factor is there are both state and federal laws to contend with. So you've got, you know, what the FDA is doing that you have to pay attention to. And then you've also got the rules of your particular state. And some of those laws you can look up because they're in statute or they're in rule and you can Google and find them. Other law is just developed through legal process. So case law, um, and it all just, you know, sort of overlaps. And so for a practitioner, you kind of have to put those puzzle pieces together to figure out, you know, what's legal and, and what's not legal. And I think that really is why it's sort of confusing sometimes. Right. I, I've read and I've heard from many sources saying that the, um, if you're trying to be on the cutting edge of medicine and you follow all the rules, you're 17 years behind the leading edge of medicine, <laughs> which is pretty accurate. I mean, there's a lot of studies that say that. So um, these things obviously have to be regulated. I mean, because we've always called it the wild, wild west of regenerative medicine because so many different companies pop up and make wild claims. And, and we don't really like to get involved with companies like that. We try to follow the ones or utilize the ones that are following the rules and understanding the terminology. Um, so can you explain for our listeners, just so they can hear it from your point of view, how these tissues are regulated as compared to like regulations by a drug? Right, yeah. So generally speaking, regenerative or you know stem cell products sort of fit into two categories. You've got those that are heavily manipulated such that really they resemble a drug and they're regulated like drugs. They have to go through an FDA approval process. There's clinical trials, uh, the whole bit. And we refer to those products as 351 products because right. they're regulated under section 351 of the Public Health Service Act. Right. Basically, you're talking about, about drugs. Other products that are minimally manipulated and intended for homologous use really have more in common with like a skin graft than they do a drug and they're regulated differently. And we call those 361 products because they're regulated under section 361. Right. Those products don't have to be approved. They just have to meet certain safety standards in manufacturing and, and other things like that. Um, which, which they, most of them do. Some companies have been closed down in the last couple of years, but the company we use uh, has been uh, always passes with flying colors. Yeah, I mean, it, and, and one thing that irritates me is that sometimes you'll read uh, something in the media, you know, or whatever, and they'll say um, non-FDA approved products, and they use it as a slur. And I'm thinking, you know, I, I had a non-FDA approved banana for breakfast this morning. <laughs> it's not an illegal banana. It's just that's not the kind of thing that the FDA approves. Right. Um, and, and that the same goes for these 361 products. They're not FDA approved by definition. They don't have to be. And those are the types of products that you typically see in integrated NDDC practices. Right. There is some um, jealousy in this, in this game and uh, some competitive uh, jealousy. Sometimes those accusations come from groups that have something to, to lose if somebody else is successful. Um, we're not going to get into that now, but 
I understand that. I, I want to bring that up though, because our clients, you know, I've had guys uh, reach out to me saying, oh, we're all out of business, you know, that we can't do regenerative medicine anymore. Or if they say that you can't do stem cells anymore, I tell them you couldn't do stem cells to begin with. You, know, <laughs> you, you could do regenerative medicine, you could do human cellular tissue products, but not stem cells. Um, but um, so, you know, you got a Texas, Texas state law, you got federal laws. Um, are the federal laws relatively stable or do they seem to be changing? I know that they sent out a, an issue a couple of years ago and they're going to enforce it November 2020, which is coming up this year. Um, what do you? What is your opinion? Do you think they're relatively stable or do you think they're not? Well, they're relatively stable, but they are evolving. I mean, we're talking about sort of a category of products that don't fit neatly into sort of the buckets that the FDA has. Um, and so, as you alluded to, I guess it was November of 2017, they put out some guidance that basically said, okay, we're gonna take a pause and try to get our act together. And during that time, we're gonna limit our enforcement efforts to things that we think pose a particular risk to public safety. So weird delivery methods of regenerative you know, medicine, um, products that were intended to treat like a life-threatening or a deadly disease might be a little more dangerous. And so they said, we're gonna take this three year sort of pause and then later we'll come back to you with some more guidance. And so that would be November of 2020. So later this year at some point, we do expect some sort of revised guidance from the FDA that hopefully brings a little more clarity than we've had up to this point. Right, so I know that um, the FDA is, is, the two things they do um, have authority over with this field is, like you said, the, the safety, of these products and then also the marketing of these products making claims right. so uh, we emphasize to our clients you don't want to be claiming that you're going to cure anything or you're going to treat disease because we don't want the fda to come around and say well if you're treating a disease you must be using a drug therefore that's a 351 you don't have that license so therefore you're in violation exactly what this this um, thing is saying so by keep our guys keeping clean and sticking with a, a valid company that has a good reputation, especially with the FDA, that has um, come through their inspections without marks. Uh, and there was some, uh, a couple, one big uh, company this year, twice got uh, inspected and did not come out well. And I think that's the end of that company. I'm not sure, but you know, I won't mention the name until we know the definite outcome, but it, it was one of the bigger players. But the company that we work with is a very, bigger, a very big player and they always come out of their inspections doing well. But they work with us in educating our clients to emphasize not to make claims with these products, that you're not treating anything, that you're not going to guarantee an outcome, that there's not a certain number of stem cell count in there. This is fodder for some of these competitors, especially from, there's a guy from Colorado who likes to take all that and twist it around and make it seem like we're deceiving people uh, when he just has a financial interest in the game and that's why he does it. But, um, you know, so Texas, let's just talk about Texas. How is regenerative medicine regulated in Texas other than the federal level, like the FDA level? Right, um, that's, a, that's a good question. Um, so the phrase stem cell appears in Texas statute a handful of times and it's never very clearly defined. Um, and so that leaves you as a reader sort of forced to use context clues to figure out what, it, what are they referring to. Right. And the, the big example of that is House Bill 810, HB 810 from a couple of years ago. And that was nicknamed Charlie's Law after a terminally ill child. 
And the purpose of that bill was to give terminally ill patients access to treatments that were not yet FDA approved. Right. In other words, the whole point of the bill was to expand treatment options, not to constrict them. Right. It was, you know, to take things that were illegal under federal law and make them, at least under state law, accessible to certain patients. And naturally, they put some strict boundaries around that. You know, it had to be administered by a physician. It had to be for a terminally ill patient. There was an IRB process. I mean, it was very, very robust. Um, but there are just many reasons to assume that that statute is not specifically applicable to like a 361 product, a human cell tissue product. Right. Um, first, as I sort of alluded to, um, it, that wouldn't fit with sort of the clear stated purpose of HB 810, which was to expand treatment options rather than constrict them. Right. Second of all, that, that bill talks about products not yet approved by the FDA. And definitionally, a 361 product would never be approved by the right. FDA because it doesn't have to be. So they're well, not... Let me stop you on that one point. So then technically what, what your interpretation of this is, and again, this is not giving advice, legal advice, but it makes sense to me. Since it's stated um, not yet approved by the FDA, they must be referring to products that fall under the 351 rule. Well, again, they don't specifically say we're talking about this, you know, they don't reference the federal statute or give us any real clarity. But if you're just using context clues, that's, that's the inference that I draw from that is that they're referring to a type of product that would at some point require FDA approval, which would not be a 361. Right. That's exactly what I thought when I first heard this. And then when I read your paper and you said that, I thought, well, geez, I guess I'm smarter than I realized because it's <laughs> exactly what I thought. It, yeah. it, I mean, because we very, we're very diligent on telling our guys, don't use the word stem cell therapy. You're not doing stem cell therapy. With that being said, we still have guys, we look at their ads and we go, look at what he's saying. Did he not go well, to our training? Yeah. I mean, for, first of all, you're, what you were saying about advertising could not agree more. I mean, Nine times out of 10, if a chiropractor ever gets in trouble for anything, it's related to advertising. It's not because you hurt somebody or what you actually did. It's, it's almost always the advertising. So that's the key. Uh, but as you alluded to, HB 810 has been law for several years now. And these 361 products are in widespread use in Texas, not only in integrated clinics, but just physicians' offices and elsewhere. Um, and to my knowledge, no licensing board has ever said, you, you can't do this under HBA 10. Right. That doesn't mean that it, it wouldn't happen in the future necessarily, but it's just, I'm not aware of that. And you would think over the last few years that that would have happened. Right. Okay. Now there were, you were going down your points um, and you said this, uh, there's a third point where you talk about referencing um, proper or improper supervision. Yeah. You know, so as a healthcare attorney, we sort of, peruse the medical board website occasionally and we're just hanging on their every word trying to figure out what what do you think about this because they've not published a specific rule or, or done anything official but there was a bulletin that they put out in may of 19 so last may where they said that they're concerned about um mid-level practitioners so an aprn or pa administering stem cell treatments with inadequate supervision and so, you know, to the reader, 
you say, okay, if you're, if you're saying that the concern is inadequate supervision, then what you're saying is it can be done by a mid-level under proper supervision, which again would lead you to infer that they're not, you know, banning these products from being administered by mid-level practitioners and they're not suggesting that HBA 10 applies. They're more concerned about the level of supervision there. Right, right. That makes sense to me as well. And then um, I'm going to flip my notes there because there's one last point that you've made. Um, that these products have been in widespread use for th under a 361 rule in Texas for quite a while now. And yeah. most of it has been done by mid-levels. Yeah, and you can't, you know, it's always a little dangerous in healthcare to say, well, I know you can do X because people down the street do it and they've been right. fine. You know, I, I caution clients about that all the time. But I do think it's significant that you have these products that are in widespread use across the state. And up to now, you've not seen any kind of major indication that the medical board or the nursing board thinks that they're, you know, unlawful for some reason. Now that could change. I mean, it's possible for an agency to change its interpretation of a law that happens all the time. But if you're just trying to read the tea leaves, we've not seen anything, in my opinion, that would really be indicative. Okay, so then if we recap, um, assuming our clients and, and other practitioners in Texas out there are following the rules, they have proper supervision, and that means having a doctor that can supervise, being accessible while the nurse practitioner or the PA is, is practicing, having um, protocols and, and protocols books signed off by the supervising doctor and having them have proper communication with these practitioners. Um, we know that they're safe. I mean, there hasn't been, I think, any cases of these tissues causing harm by themselves. A lot of times it's sloppy practitioner uh, application, but even then, still very minute. Um, I know the company we work with said out of 100,000 allografts, I think they had 18 adverse reactions, with all, which all came back to sloppy technique by the practitioner. And they weren't all mid-levels. Some of these were physicians. But still, that's a very, 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 very small percentage. Um, so if they're doing that, they're not advertising stem cell therapy and they're not advertising cures or they're gonna grow tissue back and they're doing everything right. What happens if they get one of these letters? What should they do? What would you suggest they do? Well, the first, first thing to know is if you ever get a letter from a licensing board or the IRS for that matter, you, know, you just don't respond without an attorney. You need counsel. And so that's I what I would advise anybody um, to do is to get counsel. But the thing that I think people sometimes misunderstand about the disciplinary process in Texas for practitioners is these licensing boards are all complaint driven, which means, you know, anybody who makes a complaint that triggers a legal mandate for the board to investigate. And oftentimes what they'll do in the letter that the practitioner gets is they just copy and paste what they got in the complaint. Right. So the complaint might say, you know, that you're an alien from Mars and that you're uh, abducting people or whatever, and you might get a letter that says that. It doesn't mean that the board actually thinks that's happening. You can't necessarily uh, draw any firm conclusions about the board's thought process just on the basis of that letter. They're just asking you to respond to a complaint that was made. Right. So there have been, you know, a few practitioners that have gotten letters saying, well, it's been alleged that you're violating HB 810 or, or whatever. Um, to my knowledge, none of those cases have been resolved yet. So again, there's not much that we can glean from that, except, you know, maybe it's just a matter of they got a complaint and they're doing 
what they're legally required to do, which is ask you about it. Right. Well, clinics that I've owned um, have had two board complaints and both of them, as it turned out, we were completely innocent of any of the complaints. Um, and it was exactly like that. The board member said, well, we have to come and anytime somebody files a complaint, we have to come and check it out. And after they checked it out and realized these are not actually legitimate complaints, uh, and I won't say what state because I've been in multiple states, but they confided it was a competitor making the complaint and anonymously, which um, some of these complaints I believe you, you mentioned earlier are the same thing. It's anonymous. You, we don't know who alleged these complaints. So first thing I guess we should say to our clients is stay calm, right? Make sure you're doing everything right in the first place. But if you get one of these things, this allegedly is the key word. So stay calm and then contact somebody like you. How do our listeners find you if they need you? Well, if you want to contact me, you can, you can do so on my website. I'm just, it's www.jm.legal. Um, I don't do a lot of actual board representation, but I can help somebody find an attorney who could, who could help them with that. Uh, but whether it's me or whoever, I mean, you need, you need counsel if you get a letter like that. And yeah. I do think it makes sense to stay calm because again, you know, just the mere presence of a complaint letter in and of itself, you know, doesn't really mean a lot. Yeah, I know the one complaint we had um, at the end of the investigation that somebody alleged that we, we didn't have proper medical supervision. And at the end of the complaint, the board investigator said, actually, your patients are very lucky because you have excellent medical supervision. <laughs> the exact opposite of what the complaint was, but we still had to check it out. So and they probably guess, didn't refund you the money you had to spend on defending against it. But no, but you know, the bigger, nice you consolation get, price. the bigger you get, the more you have to do that. So yeah. you know, that's just something that's anticipated. So anyway, well, is there anything else you want to, <coughs> excuse me, add to our discussion to close that we haven't covered yet? Well, I just, I guess if you were looking for takeaways for practitioners, you know, like I said, you need counsel and, and this, this is not counsel. I'm not your attorney. Right. Uh, I'm just, you know, this is legal education, but um, I would just say that as a practitioner, you also are responsible for knowing and understanding these rules. So I would say visit the FDA website, you know, from time to time, check out the rules for yourself, read them, understand them. Same with the licensing board in your state. I mean, you should be checking that anyway to make sure that, you know, the rules change occasionally, make sure you're up to date on that. And then when you're choosing a, a manufacturer of a product like this, I mean, I would just ask tough questions. And I'd make sure that you get good answers and preferably in writing <laughs> from yeah. them, you know. We do a lot of trainings with our clients. We do some training every month and we usually invite some of these, uh, this company we work with to our events so they can talk to our clients and uh, get the right information and get the research behind it and everything else. So yeah, that's important for people to know that. That's why we do those types of trainings to guide our clients in that arena. Um, also, how can they get this? This thing I found was very, very useful that you wrote. Uh, do you recognize that as yours? That's mine. Yeah, yeah that's our blog. And like like I said, that's at jm.legal. And occasionally we'll post updates on regenerative medicine type stuff, and you can find it there. Okay. Mr. Joshua Maxengill, a, a great friend to alternative healthcare and integrated practice, um, and a good attorney who's been a friend of the chiropractors, especially in the state of Texas. Thank you for giving us the time to discuss this matter. And um, folks, if you're not sure, just go to his website, as he said. And uh, he's a, a good person to be connected to. Um, Josh, thanks for your time. Thank you, doctor. I appreciate it. Hopefully we'll see you again soon. Likewise. Thanks.